0: What would I tell my friend if they had a trauma that happened to them no matter how many years ago? It's like, would you mm. ever tell them to just get over it? Would you ever tell them <laughs> that's been, oh, it's been eight years. Like, you should probably not even yeah. think about that anymore. Are you done with this yet? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I would never <laughs> I would never say that to anybody that's experienced a trauma. So why do I say it to myself? show me nothing but kindness she would say I know how sad you get and some days I still get that way but it gets better it gets better it gets better sweetie it gets better I promise you and she'd tell me she'd tell me, she'd tell me
1: Hi, thank you for joining me. I'm Hecate, and this is Finding Okay, a podcast for survivors of assault and abuse. And I am joined today by Kaylin. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Trigger and content warnings for this episode include the following. Addiction, rehab, brief mention of psych wards, Alcoholism, DUI, sexual assault, brief list of systemic American social traumas, including 9 11, COVID 19, and quarantine. This episode was recorded on May 27th, 2020. The protests are addressed briefly mid episode and further at the end. Check in with yourself. Make sure you're all right to continue.
0: Okay are you okay? Yes. The simple, the simple answer is yes. Um, there's definitely times where I feel less okay, but overall I am okay. That's good.
1: I'd also like to hear a, a compliment that you've received that you've never forgotten.
0: It's a very simple compliment. And I think it was because, and I'm sure that I had heard it before, but when I was in rehab going through a lot of different trauma some I don't even remember who said it probably one of the psych techs said you are enough and Hmm. for some reason it just like because of where I was at and the setting it was just like I just hadn't thought that for a very long time and yeah it was the moment that you needed to hear it yeah I was like I am I don't I am enough I don't deserve bad things. I am enough. And I yeah. yeah. But I'd say that. Yeah.
1: And what's your favorite color or color combination
0: and what do you associate with it? You know, I like a lot of like purples and reds. And I I dare to say pink. I hated pink almost all my life. And (laughs) me too. (laughs) And I was just like so anti pink I wouldn't have anything that had pink. And now I have like pinkish red hair. And, oh, I uh, didn't know that. Yeah, I I started dyeing my hair and I'm just kind of really liking the pink, purple, red schemes. And I think it just means it kind of reminds me of empowerment because um, all things feminine aren't bad. <laughs> They're very good and empowering.
1: Yeah, I went through a huge well I still struggle with it a little bit but growing up I turned on pink as a color just and I think coming from that place of pink is girly and girly Mm. is bad and that just like got its claws into me and I just yeah it's something that I'm still trying to I I still just don't think that pink is like quite my color but Mm. I'm definitely like trying to be mindful about like but why
0: (laughs) yeah yeah, it's there's. I feel like pink is a very loaded color, but like I don't wear a lot of hot pink stuff. But mm-hmm. I have more things in my wardrobe. I'm actually looking over at my closet, and there are quite a few pinkish articles that I'm like, yeah, I can I can wear pink. But I did. I I had the same thing. Girly is bad, and pink is girly, so pink is bad. Mm-hmm. And I'm not. Yeah. And I'm not girly. So, but yeah. at least that's what I used
1: to think. We knew each other briefly in college um, and worked together. How do you identify? Has that changed? And what are your preferred pronouns? I'm sorry. What are your pronouns? Not preferred pronouns. No. If, pronouns?
0: <laughs> for, for me personally, they are. I would consider them preferred. And they are they, them, theirs. Okay. And since we, since you asked, it's actually like a really big internal struggle for me because I'm like on the edge of being like, well – you know what i don't care because it's so it's such a burden to care that i mm. that i sometimes don't feel like i have it in me all the time because i i would have to correct people almost like at least 20 times every day if i did it every time someone used she as a pronoun rather than mm. they it's a lot of work so i'm like on the brink it yeah is, it's definitely preferred rather that i won't get um I sometimes get upset when people say "she," but not usually. Okay, I'm
1: gonna do my best, and if I slip, please call me on it because I definitely care and uh, and want to get it right. And that might just be a struggle for me because uh, because I did know you before. I think you made that change, and I, I tend to slip if if I've known someone using different pronouns before.
0: You know, and I sl- I slip with pronouns too. I think that it's been a very long time in western society that we lived in the gender binary and it yeah. it seems like a small change but it's really when something's been engraved for years even years longer than you've been alive it is actually mm-hmm. hard to remember it seems small but it actually isn't really so yeah I will yeah, yeah it's a it's a complex issue gender it is
1: yeah. And thank you for sharing that. That's it's definitely especially, yeah, this the struggle with uh, with caring, because that is very real, like it's emotionally taxing mm-hmm. to correct people. And yeah, the I think anyone who makes the change to, to they then theirs, there is that that kind of hurdle of, you know, supporting your identity versus realizing that it's going to be like a Daily struggle, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, it's definitely um, not not alone in that at all.
0: Yeah, I also am feeling inclined to say like whenever I speak about how I feel about my gender pronouns, I am definitely not trying to like. For some people, you will do serious damage if you don't use their pronouns. Like, yes, some people, it's like, it's very important for a lot of people. So by me saying it's not as important to me, I still understand that that is not a lot of people's journey. But I can't speak Mm -hmm. about their journey. I just wanted to, for some reason, I felt like I wanted to say that. Absolutely.
1: Thank you for pointing that out. That's a beautiful point and incredibly important. Each person's gender identity and their feelings about it are completely unique. And yeah, while that might not be something that is like literally life-saving to you, it very well might be to somebody else. And yeah, make make the effort even if it's awkward yeah (laughs) to any listeners yeah make the effort Mm -hmm. it can definitely save a life many lives so yeah but um if i needed to summon you in a ritual what five things would i need to place as offerings
0: at each point of the pentagram on the floor coffee would be one of them (laughs) a dog Either like an om symbol or a yoga mat or something that symbolizes yogic things. It doesn't have to be like the physical practice, though. Maybe a book. Maybe the Communist Manifesto, actually. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> I Love think, it. I think, yes, the Communist Manifesto. <laughs> and um, something cozy, like a, a nice cozy blanket or just something comforting like that. Nice. Good answers. Thank you. And what are the
1: three most important parts of your self-care?
0: I think that physical movement is really important for me. I just feel better about my myself and my mind and my body. So either yoga or running or biking. But I also have to walk this balance of understanding that physical movement's important, but also I need to rest. Like I shouldn't always be doing things. So I have a tendency to go, go, go. So sometimes I have to like really be comforting to myself and be like, you don't always have to go, go, go. Like you can just sit and watch TV for half the day. You work 40 hours, like you don't have to do something all the time. So a, a balance between physical activity and rest I don't know if that's one or two things. I guess it's two things, and then um, connecting with people, and like reaching nice. out to my friends. Yeah. And how do you how do you tend to do that?
1: Text message, calls, or physical connection with people uh, what What form does that take for you personally?
0: I prefer calling over texting, but I do text because a lot of people prefer texting over calling. <laughs> so i I have a really good friend in Arizona. And I reach out to her as much as I can. And we do, sometimes we even do Zoom workouts together or we just oh, nice. um, do FaceTimes. I know this, I, I have a friend that I see in person. She's been in quarantine. I've been in quarantine except my work. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's not the most responsible thing that I should be doing. But I do have a friend that I that I see sometimes.
1: Yeah. Well, you're not, you're not the only person that I've talked to who has someone that, that they see. I think it's all... Assessed risk, and also just taking stock of personal well-being, and really, you know, that's a part of the risk assessment. Isn't just is is this dangerous to public safety and each other, but also is this something that I need in order to stay sane and for us to both stay sane?
0: Yes, there's so much going on. I also live with my, um, I guess, not partner right now. That's very mm. complicated so that's kind of an interest. thankfully we both work so we're not like home together all the time we're just going through a bit of a rough patch um slash ending the relationship potentially so we're moving out rough yeah so we i live i live with him and he has kids and they come over on the weekend so i see them as well
1: wow Well, that leads right into my next question is like, what's your situation and how is this crisis affecting you? So you are sharing a living space with your partner slash former partner, which is a huge challenge emotionally and just on every level. And you made reference to um, still working. So you're an essential worker. What is it that you do?
0: I work at a 90 day residential drug and alcohol treatment center for women. And what do you do there? What
1: what does your job kind of consist of?
0: I am, my title is a psychiatric technician. And so I'm not part of the clinical staff, but I want to eventually be, but I need to go, I need to get my master's for that. Mm -hmm. We are there to support them and help keep them on track. So we have a balance between enforcing rules and also being there for them. During the non-clinical day is what it's called. Mm -hmm. So Monday through Friday, Friday, 8 to 5, they are in therapy or therapeutic groups or doing things. And then my shift is usually 4 to 10.30 or I work overnights 10.30 to 8 a.m. So I'm there to help them when they're having like a nervous breakdown or they're not following the rules or to just try to help them. It's hard. It's a hard job to describe, I guess. You're doing
1: a great job. No, I'm getting, (laughs) I'm getting a feel for, for your position there. Yeah. And that sounds invaluable. And, and also really intense. I would imagine that this time has been extra challenging for people that struggle with substance use.
0: Yes. Have you seen that at your work at all? Our client, our intake of clients, isn't very high right now. So the group that we have right now, they've been there for a while. But so it is really hard when you get a new client because we have to take the safety precautions. They have to have their own room. They have to wear a mask and gloves mm-hmm. for two weeks. They have to go through a screening to make sure that they haven't been exposed to expose mm-hmm. our house. So there is one benefit of rehab during this is you kind of already quarantine yourself when you're in rehab not as fully as we are doing now not usually but you you don't go out and do things that you would normally do like you don't go to the grocery store when you're in rehab you don't go yeah. out and do things so it's been hard because i haven't been able to go to outside aa or na meetings they've all been in zoom in the in the house So they're going stir crazy because they never leave their rehab, which is difficult.
1: Yeah, that's a struggle. Mm -hmm. I don't have personal experience with struggling with substance use. And the only kind of thing that I have as far as experience goes that I can compare it to would be like the two weeks that I spent in a psych hospital. And so I would imagine that there are some similarities, but I mean, obviously plenty of differences. But just as far as like the kind of placeholder that it holds in in your life potentially, with just kind of the reality check and also like removing yourself from daily routines uh, that you you know need to reassess and relearn some coping skills and kind of like hit a hard reset. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's like as I'm reaching for an experience that I've never had. That's what I'm hitting on. I know that you've struggled with substance use.
0: So you, have you been to rehab? Can you talk a little bit about that? I have been to rehab and there is a similar, actually. So the, the rehab I work at is in like an actual house. So it's mm-hmm. very much like I've worked there so long. I kind of sometimes, this is maybe not great, but I sometimes feel like I'm going to a, a second home. It's like, mm-hmm. um it's very homey feeling. They make their own meals in the kitchen. And they have um, multiple people in bedrooms, but it's a house. And then the rehab I went to was actually a small unit in a psychiatric hospital. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a lockdown facility, at least not the unit I was in. But the other units that were around me were lockdown units. Mm-hmm. I, was, I went to a 28-day program. They went The one I work at is a 90-day program. We only had up to eight people. And our max beds at the warming workout is 17 people. I went to rehab because I got, well, I was drinking heavily, like um, daily, lots and lots. So Mm -hmm. I got a a DUI. And Mm. I was fortunate enough that my mom and my stepdad got me a lawyer and that my family sat me down. And they were like, Kaylin, you must acknowledge that you have a drinking problem now. And my response was, um, I don't have a drinking problem. I have a driving problem. I just clearly drink too much. I shouldn't drive. And then I, mm. I was gonna go to jail for I think fourteen or fifteen days because of the DUI. And the lawyer said, if you go to rehab, you could get that cut down significantly. So I said, wow. well, I I'll do that because I don't want to go to jail for fourteen to fifteen days because I couldn't even I couldn't. I'm not not good at being contained like that. So it wasn't until about two weeks into rehab that I even acknowledged that I was there because I had, like, a problem, which is common, um, as soon as that sounds. It's common to not – to go into rehab not thinking you have a problem. Yeah, that that makes sense.
1: I mean, that's – I'm vaguely familiar with a lot of the the STEP programs and, you know, the – one that most, you know, people are aware of is the first step is admitting that you have a problem and that was something that I saw a lot of in um in the psych ward there was a lot of overlap with a lot of people who were there for um for substance use issues and whether they were there for substance use issues or honestly it didn't matter like it it seems to just hold true across the board is that that's the hardest step is admitting what your deal is and, uh, and what's happening.
0: A lot of my clients, we there is a I don't know what the percentage is, but there's a very dual diagnosis the term. Usually psychiatric visits go hand in hand with also going to rehab. A lot of my clients, I guess is what I'm saying, have been to psychiatric hospitals and I've been to a psych- I've um, spent time in psychiatric hospitals as well, but not not for as long as I was in a rehab.
1: Well, there's, there's a lot of overlap with um, with substance use, uh, a lot of the times being a form of self-medication. And understandably, like if you are struggling with any kind of psychiatric um, issue, that you might have a problem with self-medication. And it yeah, just it makes kind of, sense.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like the chicken or the egg. It's like what came, yeah. what came first. I don't really – for most people, it's – uh, some people it's clear cut. Most people – Never, it's never clear cut. Um, mm-hmm. I should not say never. It's for most people, it's not clear cut on whether they they were self medicating or their drinking and drug use um, snowballed a disorder mm-hmm. um, of some kind. Sometimes it's really really important to know what people's diagnoses are, but I try mm-hmm. really hard not to focus on it because I don't want I'm I don't want someone that identifies as being mentally ill for them to feel like that is who, who they are. That ever. that's all that they are. Yeah. Exactly. So I try not to pay too much attention, but there is an overlap for sure between yeah. mental illness. I mean, yeah. Let's yeah. That's really wonderful
1: that you, that you try not to over identify that, you know, being aware, but not over identifying And I think that's honestly probably extremely helpful for, uh, for people. Um, Cause it, it
0: does get frustrating. Yeah. I'm also not qualified. Like I've taken some psychology classes in undergraduate, but that doesn't mean like I'm able to, oh, this person does this because of they have this diagnosis and this is a symptom of I'm not like qualified to make those kind of judgments medically or clinically speaking. Which
1: is an incredibly responsible realization to (laughs) to know that. (laughs) Yeah. I gotta give you props for that. Thank you. Because it's it's tempting. It is so especially tempting. If, you want, if if you're planning to go into a field, it's especially tempting to to overstep. But what are the main ways that
0: this current crisis
1: is challenging you?
0: Well, I'm in the process of moving. Oof. Yeah, so it's been really hard to we. I just recently can go look at places and my lease is running out. I I'd, I'd say my living situation has been pretty hard during the quarantine cuz I can't yeah. like go do a lot of things. Yeah. I'm really grateful that I don't have any serious medical issues that this would be affecting like I have clients that they need to see a doctor and they're like, "Well, this isn't really during COVID-19, you really can't come into the doctor's office or just yeah. things like, I'm glad that I'm not dealing with anything that's life-threatening.
1: Yeah.
0: For me, it's been, I think, compared to a lot of other people's experience, it's been pretty minor inconvenient rather than, um, like, earth-shattering mm-hmm. or life-changing. It's a blessing. It really is. If I think too much about it, though, I get really upset yeah, fair. <laughs> like if I if I spend just a little bit too much time, I'm like, what are we gonna do? All right, because I go through being really negative and really And I'm like, well, there are kids in cages, children get shot up in schools, people don't care if women are having safe abortions. Like why do we think that having COVID-19 isn't going to change the way we we interact with the world we're still going to stick our heads back in the sand and go back to business as usual we're not trying to help the environment we're not trying to help human rights we're just trying to get back to the way we were which was broken so yeah. and I get if I think about that too much I get very hopeless feeling so I just ignorance is bliss I guess I don't know I don't know what to do about all yeah
1: of it. I feel you I feel you <laughs> it's it's rough
0: yeah, we're not living. Yeah, yeah. I go, I go back and forth on that. I, I do too. Sometimes I feel like we're we are gonna change and we're gonna care about the environment and we're gonna see the impact. But mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. I guess only time yeah. will tell.
1: Yeah, I think something that always um, kind of helps is is remembering that while all this shit is going down and it's, I mean, you could pick any one of the you know major problems that you've listed um, and many more. And that overall, the, the problem has continued to persist despite it being obviously a moral outrage and that people have just allowed it to continue. But then also remembering that there are always people trying to help mm. and that they are there, that there are so many people doing their best to try and help the situation and that the bigger like monster is just like this system as Mm -hmm. a whole that has this like just this massive inertia and that is uh is definitely (laughs) a part of why I'm like you say communist manifesto is on your your pentagram Mm -hmm. like yeah yeah um (laughs) because uh because I do have some um some definite leanings (laughs) in that in that direction I am not a fan of capitalism as a system and so I've found it kind of interesting to look at like people versus like the larger system and like where does one become the other Mm. and how is this crisis going to affect people versus how is it going to affect the bigger system it's undeniable to many that the system is not working that what we've accepted that business as usual is not sustainable and that it's not desirable even And so really the question is, you know, is it possible that this is enough of like a stick in the in the spokes of the wheel to disrupt it enough that we could make positive change and disrupt the system or rebuild the system somehow in a way that would potentially fix some of those problems or make enough changes in some of those respects. And I just yeah, time will time will tell, but also like also a lot of action it's hard because I think we're all exhausted.
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we're also facing a pandemic that's affecting everybody in the entire world. I yeah. I think that we need to... So in the, in the Trump era that we are in and divided as we stand is kind of like a lot of people's motto, maybe not consciously, mm-hmm. but it is very much you versus me type situation. I think we need to, in my opinion unite the working class and I mean like the overall like the people that work at Sprouts the union workers truck drivers people that are you know the majority of the people but right now that isn't a group of people that all merge together we have we're very like bubble living Mm -hmm. I mean I live in Boulder County it's like one of the biggest bubble living places ever and yeah uh, Astonishingly so. Asta- yeah, I yes, that's so true. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, it's like everything's perfect. People look great. I mean, why don't you just go outside and run all the time?
1: Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like hippieville, and then you, like, pass a certain just invisible barrier outside the bubble, and all of a sudden, like, you know, the Trump signs start appearing and Confederate flags, and you're just like,
0: oh. Oh, so, I know. What? There's someone's <laughs> – I was walking um my, my dog, Harold, and – I saw two Trump signs. I live in Lafayette, so I don't live in Boulder proper. I live in Boulder County. Yeah, I lived in Longmont. Yeah, I'm going to move to Longmont. Um, <laughs> the I was like, there's Trump signs in my neighborhood. And I was just like, oh, mm. no.
1: At this point, Kaylin and I had a conversation about revolutions. This episode was recorded on May 27th, 2020 when protests in Minneapolis were just beginning. As the situation has evolved during the editing process, I came to feel that part of our discussion no longer struck the right chord. Kaylin and I both would like to express our support of protesters across the country and the world. Black Lives Matter.
0: Like, even our voting system, we feel like we have, we feel like we have freedom because we vote but i mean it's we don't pick who we're voting for by any means it is very no much there's calculated. the
1: electoral system is is really outdated and messed
0: up yeah so it's like we don't we have enough of an illusion of freedom which um i think the idea of what freedom is has been like altered throughout the american perception it's like oh yeah
1: it's definitely a mutation
0: yes yeah, so, and we think we have it so we are like why why would we want to change and disrupt this we are free we have freedom we're american of course
1: yeah well and there's that like that rabid devotion to the mutation that we idealize you know and so like not only that but we, we just angrily defend um you know that that version of freedom that that we identify as you know real freedom yeah yeah yeah. 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 But it's, uh it's it's interesting having friends in other countries um cuz I've I've done a lot of travel and you know most of it was um was in India and I met a lot of people from different countries and uh and I've learned so much just speaking to actual human beings from different countries that I've never learned in all my time of like being a curious person that read a lot. Mhm you have to really really try hard to to get to step outside of like American propaganda
0: yeah and so
1: I learned so much just from literally speaking to other people that lived in other countries in other systems and um I had a friend that that I knew in uh an artist residency in India and he was Costa Rican and, you know, he talked to me about like the health care that they have and and Cuba and the health care mm-hmm. that Cubans had. And that was a revelation because all my life I had been force fed, you know, the American idea of what Cuba was and it was complete nonsense and total propaganda. And then my favorite is uh, is I have a friend from Holland who's constantly commenting like every time I post something about um, the American Uh, healthcare system or like dental practices or just just honestly like anything ridiculous that's going on in our country and she'll just chime in and be like here's how things are in my country and I'm like oh boy that sounds nice (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) I definitely think knowing international or traveling internationally as expensive and kind of exclusive as as it is
1: it's a privilege to be it, able to. That yeah. Should be said yes.
0: I've definitely, I, I lived in New Zealand for a year when I was 17 and I've traveled interna- mm. internationally before as well. And I have quite a few international friends and it is.
1: It blows your whole
0: I'm, wide world it's so, open. It's so amazing that I was like, why do you know so much about the United States? And they're like, uh, we know stuff about the whole world. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) I was like, I didn't even what do you mean, you know, stuff about that? I was 17. And I like really didn't care that much about school. So I was like, why do you know all this stuff? Like, and they're like, yeah, we actually pay attention to the entire world. And I was like, oh, we don't. We just pay attention to us. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Our our educational system is a joke. It's Mm -hmm. terrible. Yeah. Like we the stuff we learn in school is oh propaganda that word again comes yeah. up, and I'm not wrong to use it you're not you're
0: <laughs> not wrong to use it yeah mm. I mean the things I learned about World War II in school and then I talked to people <laughs> from Europe and I was like what that's what World War II was like and then I was like oh my mm. god I didn't no other perspectives other than the fact that America saved world war finished world war ii and i was like okay this is all so much but yeah I, we were late to the game <laughs> very very late and that, but i, I actually got, so i lived in new zealand i was playing rugby and i got a, a black eye Whoa. and i thought that um it hurt really bad i was being, i had never gotten a black eye i wasn't like a rough new zealander that played rugby so i went to the doctor it was like they did an x-ray it was maybe thirty five dollars, <laughs> and, and I wasn't even—I wasn't even a New Zealand citizen. I was like, "Excuse me, how much is it?" It was like maybe thirty five dollars, and they're like, "Yeah, we have pretty much free healthcare for even foreigners." I was like, "What? Oh, what?" So that was just wonderful. Like, it wasn't full blown healthcare; it was like accident coverage. It was something different, but it, they have a great system, and I would love to live in New Zealand again. They have a lot of great systems, and their oh, prime minister it's so is so
1: beautiful too.
0: Oh yeah, yes it is.
1: I heard they're doing great in this crisis.
0: They are because their prime minister—I can't remember her name right now because I'm really bad with names—but she's really badass. And yeah, she handles a crisis well, extraordinarily yeah. well. Some of my New Zealand friends have actually been. I have a friend uh, I went to school with her, and she's South African, but she lives in New Zealand, and she checks in with me every once in a while about how I'm doing during the pandemic and. New Zealand's starting to open back up as well, but their cases are like down, down, down. Yeah. And ours. Yeah,
1: aren't they like one of the lowest case bases in the world right now?
0: Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. But since we waited three two, three months before even addressing the issue, it wasn't it wasn't an option for the United States to do that because we didn't get on it when we should have.
1: So yeah. we,
0: we let it get so far out of control that it was impossible, obviously, out of control yeah and a lot of other countries didn't wait that long Mm. they got it under Mm. control before it got out of control
1: yeah there's um there's a excellent article i can't remember who wrote it it might have been new york times but that was about american uh individualism and like the cultural focus on individualism and how that has kind of been our downfall in this situation because it is Just in such complete contrast to like the cultural norms in other places, which is on family and collective action Uh and that without that cultural focus that we've done ourselves harm. In this situation, we haven't been able to act collectively for the benefit of the group.
0: Yeah, I think it makes a huge difference that we don't live in a collective society that we're able to like that there are actually people in the United States saying how many people died? Is that really enough people for me not to be able to get a haircut? Because I'd really like to get a haircut. I don't really care how many people have died. And it's just like, I think that's very much a result of being a very individualistic society.
1: Well and it's it's also um comes down to the, the media as well because like you can say like what what the hell is the death toll right now? It's it's I'm in it's an I incredible. saw like a hundred thousand or something, is that correct?
0: I saw a hundred thousand too. I think it actually might be higher than that, but it is definitely it at least a hundred thousand. And the fact that you can that there are people that you can say, you know, a hundred thousand people have died And a lot of them are people that are trying to help other people and people being like, well, I'd still like to get a haircut. It's like,
1: yeah, well, and part of that is is that that's such a huge number that if you aren't experiencing any of that personally, like if there aren't body bags outside your window and if you don't like if you're lucky enough not to like know a bunch of people that have died or have lost people, then that's just an imaginary number. It's a number that means nothing to you because it's too big for the minds to yeah. really do anything with. And we're not showing a lot of this on the news, at least in in my experience. I mean, not that I'm like watching a lot of news, um, but I am reading a lot of articles. There's like kind of like a subtle control over like what we are and are not making visible. Mm. And so like trucks being loaded with body bags or pine wood coffins, that's something that they're doing in like the early hours of the morning. And that's just something I heard about from an individual who happened to live across from it. Oh, wow. And that's not something that I'm seeing photographs of like Mm -hmm. on the news or in articles, you know, so it's we're kind of like, keeping it on the down low and you know kind of to sustain this idea of business as usual is something that we should be getting back to or that we're capable of getting back to soon we we can reopen like this is you know reasonable whereas like if things were you know as visible as they were say in like you know the times of like the black death in europe way back when like uh i think people would be a lot more willing to stay in their homes. It would be more visible. It would be more tangible. It would be like, ah, yeah, no, that's not a bad idea.
0: Yeah, I think that is definitely true. Yeah, the word propaganda comes up again. That it's just like we're being fed what they want us to be. Like our news sources. I don't have cable, so I don't watch like CNN or Fox or MSNBC. But those are multi, I'm assuming, billion-dollar companies that very much feed mm. off of the capitalistic society that we live in that yes. they don't want to like dismantle the system. In my opinion, they they're not going to show things that would potentially help dismantle the, the system that makes them millionaires or billionaires. I don't know how much money they make. So, Yeah. yeah. but an, another thing I find very interesting, Oh God, this is like, I'm going to say it anyway, after 9-11, Mm-hmm. People died. I don't remember the death toll. It was very high. It was around three thousand. Around three thousand, and um, I'm
1: about an hour out of New York.
0: Okay, so you, yeah, so, I, yeah. So people, which was a horrible tragedy. Like it should have never. Ha- it was just horrible. But we, yeah. a lot of the country right after that happened was like, yes, we should go to war. Yes, we should totally disrupt our system and fix this. Yeah. Everything changed immediately. Immediately. Um, we have ice now, which is just a god awful horrible thing that shouldn't be shouldn't exist. We have yeah. we started a war that we're still technic well, not technically, but we're still in and we've invaded yeah. and ruined multiple countries. But we yeah. have a, a virus that's killed a hundred thousand people and we don't want to change for that. And I don't understand that mentality at all.
1: Well, one supported our system. You know, and this one does not. Mm-hmm. So it 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 really is just a, about like who's making money. And war has been like an American addiction for a while, and uh, and it really like it boosts the economy um in huge ways, and then also like the oil that's a huge factor as well. Like so, there was you know, and also just like the uh, imperialist way that we mess around with other countries is just really, ooh, ah, yeah, just it's really true. gross um, and, uh, and disturbing. And so all, all of the things that came out of nine eleven, like those were strategic and, and worked right into, you know, they appeared to be disruptions, but were actually just like another manifestation of business as usual. And whereas this has the potential to really uh, disrupt business as usual.
0: That's great. Right. Wow, that's great insight. One great thing my employer did do during this is I now have free health insurance through my employer. <gasps> yes. So it was like Congratulations. Oh, thank you. It was before like $300 a month, which I just couldn't afford. Yeah so yeah, many people can. Yeah, so um now my employer since covid-19 is covering all of her their, her employees health insurance because That's amazing. We're working during a pandemic and I think that is pretty I thought that was pretty awesome of her. Yes it is. Um especially I work at a small company too, so it's not like I work for this giant corporation. Yeah, that ain't nothing. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And has your past trauma come up for you unexpectedly during this time in any way?
0: You know, I just started going to therapy again after not going for a while. How long is a while? A little over a year, probably. I had a health insurance through and then I graduated. I stopped seeing the therapist that I liked. And then Mm -hmm. now we're doing a sliding scale. So I can continue to see the therapist that I like, but... I don't know if it's if some of my past trauma is coming up necessarily because of the pandemic, but it is happening during the pandemic. A lot of, like, abandonment and then also just being not sure. Often, like, navigating, for me personally, navigating sexual partnership is really difficult because, yeah. of, because of my past sexual trauma. So when I'm single, it's very easy to be like, well, I'll just be alone and I'd rather not be touched. Mm-hmm. And then in a partnership, it's much harder. But I don't know if all of this is, I don't know if any of that is actually related to a COVID-19.
1: Well, it's impossible to draw a hard line. You know, if it's coming up for you during this time, then it's 100% relevant, you know. And, and just honestly, like where I've kind of fallen with stuff is just recognizing that this is a time of extreme stress. Mm. And that it's creating just this really prolonged environment of extreme stress and when there's a period of stress, uh, it it affects a body and a mind differently if that body and mind has experienced trauma. And so it tends to just cause a lot of anxiety. If someone has PTSD, it can cause PTSD symptoms to resurface, mm-hmm. uh, even if that wasn't happening before. And it can just be surprising what what surfaces and just honestly like it's just about like what's going on with you like whether you can tie it directly to this is happening because of mm. covid like it's just like this is a struggle and how you doing like what's coming up that's awesome that you're going back to therapy
0: thank you yeah i'm really happy to be doing it i th- actually so i've been in therapy a lot but there was always a point in my therapeutic path that I knew that I wanted to get past and I just couldn't.
1: Can you talk a little bit more about that? What was that point uh, for you?
0: Often it was dealing with the sexual trauma, and because of experiencing sexual trauma, having confusion about my own sexual orientation, and not knowing, ex- being very um, not in touch with my body. So, not knowing like what fuck yes felt like, not knowing like. Mm-hmm what was a hard yes and what was a hard no and everything being kind of blurry and going back and like, you know, sitting down with a therapist and talking about specific past events and how they affect me now. I just didn't, I just couldn't do it. I wanted to do it because I know, because I have panic attacks sometimes and I have anxiety and I want to like deal with these issues. Mm-hmm. Overall, my life is comfortable. So it's like, I don't want, why would I want to bring up all of this stuff, all of this past trauma that's happened years ago now and make my comfortable life uncomfortable? But, I mean, the the truth of the matter is it doesn't go away, the trauma and the effects of the trauma, unless I approach it and I talk about it and I, I don't try to push it down so much. So... Yeah. I'm like at that point where I'm trying again to get to get past that um, point where I can openly talk about it in a therapeutic setting and not run away or stop going.
1: Yeah, that's a big deal.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, um, It's definitely not. It's definitely uncomfortable at the very least
1: it is but you're right it's um it's incredibly important
0: yeah it doesn't go away another thing i tell my clients and i also tell myself all the time it's like what would you tell your what would i tell my friend if they had a trauma that happened to them no matter how many years ago it's like would you mm. ever tell them to just get over it would you ever tell <laughs> them that's been oh it's been 8 years like you should probably not even think about that anymore are you done with this yet (laughs) yeah it's like I would never I would never say that to anybody that's experienced a trauma so why do I say it to myself I don't yeah I don't know
1: I feel like everyone has had at least like one person say that to them though
0: yeah that's probably besides themselves yeah yeah that's I know that I have but I'm not like that kind of person yeah (laughs)
1: I'm glad you're not a dick.
0: Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, congratulations for reaching this, like, this point in your own personal, like, practice and your life and your treatment that you're ready to, like, dig in and, um, and really approach that stuff. Yeah. And I wish you all the best. That's I, – I feel weird being like, congratulations, like – no, thank I. But also, like, I, I just want to, like, see that and just, like, witness that and appreciate that because that's amazing.
0: I, I appreciate you saying congratulations. I don't feel, I feel like that's a good response. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate it too, being able to talk with someone and then know that other people are going to hear this. And I hope that it will, rit- like, Relate to someone, and that maybe maybe help maybe help them go go back yeah. to therapy if they're thinking about it.
1: Yeah, I hope so too, because it's um yeah it's it's really it's a big deal, and um and if therapy you know didn't work for for you before, like try a try a different therapist, try a different kind of therapy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: try EMDR. Like I hear that's really doing. Oh, that's a
0: way. That's a way for people. The pandemic has, I haven't been able to do EMDR because you have to do it in person, but I really do love EMDR. It's super intense. Or you've tried it. Yeah, I have. It's really intense and you definitely want to have a therapist that you like mm-hmm. and that goes through all of the proper steps. Um, that's really important to have a good connection with your therapist before you go into EMDR. It's, okay. It was really amazing. Yeah.
1: How are you nurturing yourself right now?
0: A big part of nurturing myself right now is when I'm not feeling okay, knowing that that's okay, yes. and knowing that I don't need to like, I don't need to have the weight of the world on my shoulders all the time, and that it's okay to like take a bubble bath or to go for a walk or to binge watch. I watch The Americans, which is about Russian spies, but <laughs> binge watch. Mm-hmm. The- binge watch tv sometimes and like just just try not to judge myself so hard and don't shit on myself it's like I'm doing the best that I can and of course there's always something I could be doing that would maybe be more productive but I don't need to be productive all the time
1: yes yeah there's a big focus on productivity and it's um it's definitely coming up for people in weird ways right now when productivity has been so disrupted, and I think we're all discovering how much self-worth we have tied into productivity
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> i I'm like a bit of a workaholic, so if I had actually lost my job during this i I had a little bit of a scare with a fever i had a, a fever, but it mm. went away really quickly I, I don't think but i I thought my work my doctor initially told me you're not going to be able to work for two weeks. And I was like, mm. what? No, that's not, that's not even possible. I couldn't not work for two weeks. And oh, then I dear. thought about how many people are not working and it's been like two months. I'm like, I can't,
1: it's been bananas.
0: It's yeah. I can't. Um, yeah. I can't imagine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My work shut down pretty quickly. Um, so mm. I've I've been unemployed this whole time and um, they're now opening up till July. Oh, wow. My partner is a bartender
0: mm.
1: at a local restaurant and they're opening up on the 4th. So in a matter of days and that whole industry is completely changing. And so we're just uh, yeah, it's everything's changing. It's all really weird and scary and um and bizarre.
0: Yeah, I wish it were changing in the respect of. People getting paid for, but I don't know if that's gonna. That would be fantastic. Yeah. No. Yeah. I thought that I would mention, you know, us as workers going into the residential treatment center, where the risk for them. So we yeah. have to. They're they're not exposing us. To, we would be exposing them. So anytime I do things, I have to think about: Is this going to put my my clients at risk for potentially getting COVID nineteen if I'm asymptomatic? and we have an 84 year old client, like, I have to not do a lot of things and do not a lot of things long, even though the bans are getting lifted, I still have to be aware. Yeah, so than maybe some other people, I don't know.
1: Well, and that's wonderful that you are mindful in that respect that you're thinking of your clients in that way and being responsible. That was rather beautifully put. Yeah, thank you. But thank you so much for joining me and for speaking so candidly on a number of issues. And uh, and I hope that we can talk again soon.
0: Me too. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate you putting this podcast out into the world for people to hear and, you know, heal and relate and connect over. It's really amazing.
1: Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining me. I would like to take this opportunity to reiterate my support of the protesters in Minneapolis, in all the cities across America, and I'd like to thank everyone internationally who is protesting in support. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Matter. I also want to make clear that while often the focus of this podcast is on Survivors of sexual assault. I also add abuse there. That's any form of abuse, and this includes emotional, verbal abuse, and it also includes systemic abuse. I would like to take this opportunity to make it very clear that I'm here, my mic is here, and I would like to make it available for people of color. I would like to To amplify your voice. If you or someone you know would like to take advantage of that, please contact me and we can set something up. Thank you so much for listening. Please write in with listener questions and episode requests to podcast.findingok at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. This podcast relies entirely on crowdfunding, and you are the ones that help me make it happen. Thank you, sincerely. A link to the GoFundMe can be found on the podcast website, and I share links routinely on my Facebook page. Please feel free to friend me. My name there is Hecate F-O-K, spelled H-E-C-A-T-E-F dot O-K-A-Y. Thank you so much for your continued support. Please share, subscribe, and donate if you can. And also please donate to Black Lives Matter if you can. Please be safe if you're out there protesting. And thank you again to all the essential workers out there. Thank you to everyone who's doing what they can to keep this country moving and to make sure that it's moving in the right direction for equity and for justice. And I'd actually like to end with some quotes from John F. Kennedy. Those who make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. From Martin Luther King, Jr. A riot is the language of the unheard. From His Holiness the 14th Dalai Lama, if you think you are too small to make a difference, try sleeping with a mosquito in the room.
0: Your heart is a muscle the size of your fist. Keep on loving. Keep on fighting. And hold on. And hold. Hold on for your life.